Chapter 40. Help! I've got kids too! Commences with a quote by Ellen G. White. The circumstances in which a child is placed will often have a more effective influence on him than even the example of parents. Warren Buffett famously referred to children born into wealthy homes as members of the lucky sperm club. I love it. But it's also a deadly serious issue. Few things raise more concern and soul-searching in the heart of a well-heeled parent than the news of someone else's heir apparent being arrested, admitted to drug rehab, or committing suicide. Why is it that a seemingly disproportionate number of young people in wealthy families decide to try to dull their pain with substance abuse, or worse? Where is their pain coming from? Haven't they got every possible want and desire covered? Surely there aren't any significant challenges for children born with the proverbial silver spoon in their mouths? Sadly, there are many, not the least of which is knowing how to handle their existence in an affluent environment without having the necessary maturity to do so. Dr. Madeline Levine is a practicing psychologist in one of North America's most affluent neighborhoods, Marin County, California. She wrote what is possibly the longest titled book I've ever read, but it's a very timely treasure house of insights and practical parenting ideas. The Price of Privilege. How parental pressure and material advantage are creating a generation of disconnected and unhappy kids. According to the book's promo site, Madeline has been a psychologist for 25 years, but it was only recently that she began to observe a new breed of unhappy teenager. When a bright, personable 15-year-old girl from a loving and financially comfortable family, came into her office with the word empty carved into her left forearm, Levine was startled. This girl and her message seemed to embody a disturbing pattern Levine had been observing. Her teenage patients were bright, socially skilled, and loved by their affluent parents. But behind a veneer of achievement and charm, many of these teens suffered severe emotional problems. What was going on? I can hear some people saying, Ah, the poor little rich kids, they just don't know how good they've got it, spoiled brats. And in many ways that's true. But there is a flip side. Just like children raised in extreme poverty, violent homes, war-torn villages, and racially discriminated against communities, rich kids have their own set of unique challenges. In describing the current situation in the United States, Dr Levine writes, Numerous studies show that privileged adolescents are experiencing epidemic rates of depression, anxiety disorders, and substance abuse, rates that are higher than those of any other socioeconomic group of young people in this country. We have a serious problem, and it's indirectly affecting more than just the children from wealthy homes. The University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, and the American Council on Education have been studying the values of first-year university students for the past 40 years. In the 1960s and early 1970s, the primary reasons for wanting to go to university were to become an educated person, or to develop a meaningful philosophy of life. Other reasons given were becoming an authority in my field, or helping others in difficulty. However, beginning in the 1990s, the most frequent reason given for attending college had changed. 
to make a lot of money. Dr. Levine describes this shift in values as just one manifestation of a profound shift in American culture away from values of community, spirituality and integrity and toward competition, materialism and disconnection. These young people, whose primary goal is to make a lot of money, are becoming the CEOs, politicians, doctors, bankers, lawyers and other community leaders in our world. My bet is that those societies whose leaders idolise making a lot of money are destined to suffer increasingly tumultuous times of financial insecurity and social turmoil. Not that you need to be a prophet to see that. How can we raise God-reliant children when their blessed environment seemingly provides them with everything they could possibly need, plus many of their wants? Abraham's nephew Lot was a godly man who, somewhat inadvertently, chose to raise his young family in an environment that was immersed in affluence and worldly influence, the city of Sodom. Many Christians think of Sodom as a city that was destroyed by God due to the people's sexual perversions and other abominations, and that's true. But there's more to the story. The prophet Ezekiel clearly tells us what the sins of Sodom were. Pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. And that they didn't help the poor and needy. Those are pretty sobering words for today's affluent families who have food pantries that are built like separate rooms in their lifestyle-designed homes. When God destroyed Sodom, Lot escaped the destruction. However, in that event and the years that followed, Lot lost all he had, including his wife and many of his children who had become too attached to the comforts of the environment he had provided. Ellen White commented on Lot's unfortunate decision. Those who secure for their children worldly wealth and honour at the expense of their eternal interests will find in the end that these advantages are a terrible loss. Like Lot, many see their children ruined and barely save their own souls. Their life work is lost. Their life is a sad failure. Had they exercised true wisdom, their children might have had less of worldly prosperity, but they would have made sure of a title to the immortal inheritance. Under the very apt heading, A Mistake Sometimes Made by Wealthy Fathers, White also gave this lengthy but powerful insight. The circumstances in which a child is placed will often have a more effective influence on him than even the example of parents. There are wealthy men who expect their children to be what they were in their youth and blame the depravity of the age if they are not. But they have no right to expect this of their children unless they place them in circumstances similar to those in which they themselves had lived. The circumstances of the father's life have made him what he is. In his youth he was pressed with poverty and had to work with diligence and perseverance. His character was moulded in the stern school of poverty. He was forced to be modest in his wants, active in his work, simple in his tastes. He had to put his faculties to work in order to obtain food and clothing. He had to practice economy. Fathers labour to place their children in a position of wealth rather than where they themselves began. This is a common mistake. Had children today to learn in the same school in which their fathers learned, they would become as useful as they. The fathers have altered the circumstances of their children. Poverty was the father's master. 
Abundance of means surrounds the son. All his wants are supplied. His father's character was moulded under the severe discipline of frugality. Every trifling good was appreciated. His son's habits and character will be formed, not by the circumstances which once existed, but by the present situation. Ease and indulgence. When luxury abounds on every side, how can it be denied him? Did you get the full impact of that first sentence? The circumstances in which a child is placed will often have a more effective influence on him than even the example of parents. I feel like taking the disciples' lead and yelling out, Who then can be saved? What hope have parents got if the affluent circumstances in which we raise our children are going to have a greater influence on them than even our personal examples? What can we do as parents to save our children from the many pitfalls of character, lifestyle and spirituality that seem to so easily beset the bountifully blessed, especially the young ones who were born into it rather than worked for it? I thank God that the author used the word often instead of always. There is hope. Before I go further, I need to admit one thing. My two boys have only recently reached their screen age, sorry, teenage years. As such, my experience in raising godly, hard-working, humble young men is very limited, and I have no experience at all raising daughters. Melinda and I pray daily that the Lord will lead us as we try to live in such a way that we might be living examples of Christ's love for our sons to see. We hope and pray that our example and our encouragement will lead them to the only example, Jesus Christ, and that they will model their lives on his. One little secret I do have in facing this silver spoon challenge is that I'm actually a bit of a silver spooner myself. Not that my parents were overly well off during my childhood, but my current situation is due, in no small part, to the entrepreneurial skills they were blessed with. Sure, I helped to grow their businesses and we managed them as a team, but I'm certainly not a self-made man. As such, I get to see the silver spoon effect looking both backwards and forwards. So what are Melinda and I doing about it as parents? I've included a very summarised list below. The expanded version is in Appendix 2, Help, I've Got Kids Too, which can be downloaded from the website. It could actually fill a whole book, but here's a start. Number one, we're praying. We pray daily, both with and without our boys, that God will look favourably on us by guiding and encouraging our children into a mature and eternal relationship with him. Secondly, is family worship. This daily time together with God is an excellent opportunity to discuss priorities, peer pressure, finances, careers, God's law, equality, and other important topics with our boys. It's a time to share a Christ-centred perspective on all facets of their lives. Thirdly, is being intentional. Moses gave every parent a mandate to follow in Deuteronomy 11, 19-21. He instructed us to pass on God's teachings to our children at every opportunity. Which leads us to number four, passing on values. We need to regularly let our children know and see that we truly do believe that God owns everything. The fifth thing we're doing, quantity time, not just quality time. This is a big one. There is a trend among well-off families, and quite probably most families, to replace quantity time, that's lots of time together, 
with so-called quality time. Don't do it. If we are not spending time raising and guiding our children, someone else or something else will. Number six is limited screen time. Every home needs its own rules to try to limit the time our children spend in front of television, computers and mobile phones. In order to protect our children's minds, hearts and health, we have some pretty strict rules. And they protect me too. Number seven, choice of peers. As parents, we need to concede that our children's friends have a significant impact on their characters and choices. As such, we proactively attempt to encourage peer friendships that we believe will best develop the Christ-centred characteristics we want our children to display. Number eight, mission trips. These occur right near our own home and on the other side of the world. The more we plan them, the more we can ensure that our children are touched by God's love when they see and respond to people in need. Number nine, wisdom. It's no surprise to learn that the media doesn't have a secret agenda of bombarding our children with wisdom. Nor can we rely on their gaining wisdom at church or at school. It's up to us as parents. In our homes, we need to almost drill key proverbs and wise sayings so that our children can give wisdom the value and respect it deserves. And number 10 is the rule of tens. Ever since our boys started earning an allowance, we have instilled in them what we call our non-negotiable rule of tens. 10% for tithe, 10% for gifts, and 10% for savings. Once they have allocated the three tens, they are welcome to do whatever they wish with the rest of their earnings, within the parameters of our worldview, which says that God owns everything, including the remaining 70%. Number 11, financial planning. We have a goal to teach our boys about personal budgeting and the value of money in the safety of our home, rather than letting them learn it the hard way once they leave home. To do this, we may even give them a few hundred dollars a week when they're only 16. Read more about this one online in appendix number two. And number 12, abstinence. We're putting a system in place to try to protect our boys from the negative effects of alcohol, caffeine, cigarettes, premarital sex and drugs and we plan to use cash to do it. Again, Appendix 2 contains the details. Raising God-reliant children in an affluent family and society is not easy. Raising God-reliant children in any environment is not easy. By God's grace and with His guidance, we pray for success. It's possibly the single most important task of our lives.